Today is week number two of our series called The Story. And if you're just setting in to Golfside for the first time, just so you know, we have started uh, this adventure through Scripture where we're going to look at the upper story of what God is doing through the ages and generations and the lower story of where he's interacting with a specific person at a specific time. And we, we would love to get in your hands a copy of the story. We have some more books that are arriving today. If you don't have any or you have some friends who need some, we'd love to get you a copy of these. And if you read chapter two, um, then you're ready for today. But if you didn't the next week, make sure you're ready. Read chapter three as we get in here today. Um, to, today, we're going to, man, there's so much that I want to get into with Abraham. And so I need you guys to be ready. Can, can you tell me I am ready? I am ready. All right, I know half of you weren't ready. I am ready? ready. All right, good, because we have a lot to go through today. And I want to just begin with, as we go through the story, we're looking at five major sections. The first one we looked at last week, which was paradise. And there's this timeline, and I know it's kind of small, but we're going to put the timeline up. And you can see the different color codes. Uh, as, As you hold a Bible in your hand, it's covering five major sections. And it starts with paradise where God created man and woman and placed them in a garden and everything was perfect and they chose sin. And this next section that we're going to be in for the next few weeks is Israel, building a nation for God. And from there, it goes into the time of Jesus, the time of the early church, and then a restoration of paradise. And those are the five major movements in scripture. And we are beginning today the act of God establishing a nation. And I'm going to be going through a lot of passages today, and I'm going to be staying on time today, so I'm going to have to move a little bit fast. And so if you're a note taker, be ready to jot some verses down. We'll put these up on um, the screen as we go through them. But before I get into the passage for today, uh, there was two Catholic nuns who were driving back from the senior's home. And as they were driving back from the senior's home, they were wearing their full, full garb, their, their full outfit. And they weren't paying attention, and they ran out of gas. And their van broke down on the side of the road and they were like, there's a, ga- there's a gas station just a half mile up the road, but how are we going to get the gas back? And so they looked through the van and the only container that they could find was from the senior's home and it was a bedpan. <laughs> if you don't know what a bedpan is, you can ask the person you came with later, I'll let them explain that. And so these two nuns, they carried the bedpan to the gas station they, they put a couple gallons of gas into the bedpan, and then together they very carefully carried it back to their van. When they got back, they needed a rest, and so they set it down for just a second, and as she stood over it, and a car drove by, and they picked it back up, and they began to pour it into their vehicle, the man driving the car looked at his wife, and he said, now there's faith. The situation that you find yourself in and the situation that other people see you in isn't always the same situation. But when it comes to our faith and our expectation that God is going to make something work, sometimes it's like, this is all I have to work with. All I have to work with is a bedpan, and so we're going to make it work. And other people might look, and they might see your situation completely different than you. But when you find yourself stuck, when you find yourself in difficulty, there is a necessity to take action, even if it might look strange to other people. And I'm going to tell you, Abraham's life is a very interesting study, because he was someone who he would take action— And he would take the incredibly wrong action, 
But then at other times you take these steps of faith and it should encourage your heart. And I want to reaffirm to you what I have told you many times. There is only one Jesus in scripture. Every other character that you see, every other person from the history of scripture, from Abraham all the way through up to Jesus. And after the time, there was only one Jesus and he was the only sinless man. And if you read through Abraham's story, you recognize, man, he messed up at times. And at times, his faith was astounding. And we're gonna start in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through four, and I'll put this on the screen. And it says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went and as the, as the Lord had told him and Lot with him, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, first of all, if you thought because you're 65 years old or 67 years old and you can draw from social security that you're retired now and God is with you and you just get to sit back and enjoy, look at Abram. He didn't even get started until he was 75. God still has things to work in and through your life. But the other thing that as you get educated on who Abram was, you will see that God uses the strangest of people sometimes. It just seems like as you get into Abram's world, he was an unlikely pick for God. Because if you're going to pick someone to bless all nations through, if you're going to pick someone to turn into a mighty nation, you might want to pick someone a little bit younger than 75 years old. You might want to pick someone who's got strength to travel, strength to get started. But God said, Abram, you're, you're the one that I'm going to move. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as, an, as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. At this beginning call that God gave Abram, Abram was called to another land, but he didn't even know where he was headed to. We read the Bible and I just feel like we're so emotionally separated from it. And so I want to bring your emotions into it. And I know some of you will get this to the depths of your soul. Do you know what it's like to be driving and having, and someone else is holding the GPS and you can't see it and you can't hear it? And then they forget to tell you when to turn? Like, just give me the address so I can punch it into my phone or put it up on the display in my car. And they're like, no, 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 I've got you. I'll read it. You just drive. I've got. And some of you know because you're maybe a control freak like me. And you're like, I just need to have control of where the turns come because I need to know them before they come so I can be emotionally ready and prepared and in the right lane and take the turn and not miss it. Because if I get delayed by five minutes for missing a turn, I'm going to be so angry at you. Some of you are broken like me. God didn't even tell him what the destination was. I'm just taking you out to another land. And I want, I want you to begin to apply this knowledge that God at times, he is going to direct you in ways where he says, I'm taking you somewhere, but I'm not telling you where you're going yet. And this astonishing truth is part of this, you don't actually need to know. Because though you may not trust the other person in the front seat to tell you when to turn, God's timing is always perfect. 
But one of the problems is God's directions might take you through some neighborhoods that you didn't want to visit. And this is part of following God's will. It's a lesson that we can learn from Abraham. It's a lesson that we can learn that when he was called by God, he obeyed where it took him. But I want to tell you, Abraham had some mistakes along the way. He, he, he had some mess ups and uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to edit scripture here. Like when, when he came and there, there was great kings and his wife, Sarai, she was beautiful. And as he was traveling to this unknown land that God was going to provide for him, when he got into the palace of some, some, some leaders, he was like, if that guy knows that this hot woman is my wife, that guy might have me put to death so that he can keep her. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just say, no, uh, she's my sister. She's an acquaintance. Like, like we're, we're, we're not like that. And he was willing to damage his relationship, damage his wife's emotional health for his own safety. And as we read that, this is once again reinforcing, there are things in scripture that are prescriptive and there are things in scripture that are descriptive. And what we're getting is we're getting a description of one of Abram's shortcomings. He was someone who lived by faith, but he was not perfect and and he had struggles. In fact, things that aren't perfect about them Sarai and Abram, they're on this trip, and even though she's old, she, older, she is beautiful, but even in their age, one of the things that people would have looked at with Abram, and we don't, we don't project this onto him because our culture has changed, but others would have said, you know, just as bad as the mistake of you saying that she's not your spouse, it's obvious that there's something wrong with you because you don't have any kids. Like, there has to be great sin in your life. You have to be judged by God. Uh, you, you say God's leading you, but if God was really involved in your life, you would have children. And this is something that I want to make clear because as you, as you read about it, um, Abraham's life, Abram, you, you would have seen this desire to have children. You would have seen in Sarai this desire to have children. And it's like, oh, they just, they're just really good people. They want to deal with the craziness of having children. And, and so they just must want that. No, like it was seen as a proof of God's love, a proof of God's blessing, a proof of being a good person, it was more important than wealth was having children. And so one of the other things about him, him being past the age of raising children, he just seemed like the wrong choice for God. He seemed like the wrong choice for God. And hopefully you haven't had a time where you felt compelled or pushed by the Spirit of God to do something And hopefully you haven't had someone say, you're the wrong person to do that. But I know we typically don't need someone else to accuse us because we're really good at accusing ourselves. Of saying it's past time to get that right in your life. Let me push on this area. For some reason, when we get past about the age 20, if we haven't been baptized yet, we just say, ah, uh, I should have done that when I was younger. I just need to keep this secret. And even though scripture commands me to be baptized once I place my faith in Christ Jesus, I should have done that when I was younger and I just can't do it now. Or maybe as you've gone through life, you've experienced a, a failed marriage and that relationship broke apart and it ended in divorce. 
And now you find yourself back in a place where you're finally back in church, but you feel like I could never serve, I could never be part of a ministry, I could never be teaching scripture to someone because I've experienced failure in my past. And so you discredit yourself to avoid anyone else ever possibly criticizing you for what you've done. And I want to tell you, God calls people to things that they could never pull off on their own. And that is part of his design. He loves to make his power perfect in our weakness. He loves to put his grace display on display in the middle of our brokenness. And in Abram's life, he chose Sarah and he chose Abram because he wanted to show that his hand was on their life in a way that no one could dispute. The things that would have been objections, God, you can't make us a great nation because we can't even have kids anymore. And he says, that's exactly why I chose you. And for so many of the reasons that you would discredit yourself from even trying to do something for the kingdom of God, those are often the reasons that God said, that's exactly why I'm pulling you out of that old life, that old style, that old sin, that old addiction, and into something better for yourself and for the church and for the city around you. Sarah, she couldn't have children. She was described as having her womb, that her womb was dead. And when she was about 85 years old, she made the decision, you know what? God, you've promised that you'll make us a great nation, but you're not getting your promise done on my timeline. And so I'm gonna offer you a little bit of assistance, God. I have this servant girl. And though I can't have children, I could have a, she could be a surrogate for me. And I'll just give her as an additional spouse to my husband. And then that way I can have that child. And when Abram heard this plan from Sarai, his reaction should have been, God promised and God will be good to his word and God will make it happen. But because he is a man, And this young Egyptian woman probably had curves in all the right places. And he's like, that sounds like a plan, Sarai. I mean, this is what happened. Like, I'm sorry if you wanted the PG version of this. I'm trying to keep it PG-13 at least, but there's a, this is what happened. This is one of Abram's failures. This is something that caused strife in their life because as this child was born, there was something about the servant girl, Hagar, where she started to recognize I brought the heir into this house. And though Sarai's name means princess, and it was later changed to Sarah, which means queen, but she started, the servant girl started to feel like, my child's gonna inherit all of this. You don't even have an heir. And once that old man over there is dead and my son is running the show, who do you think's gonna be the most important woman in the room? I may as well start acting like it. And she started to quarrel with Sarai. And this is something that you know intuitively, you've experienced it already, that when God says, hey, this is how I want you to approach the situation. This is the code of ethics that I want you to operate by. This is my will for the way that you live your life. This is my instruction for the type of words you should say. This is my approach for seeking forgiveness, that he gives us these instructions, but when we go outside of them thinking we're gonna make our life easier, we're gonna make my life better by stepping outside of God's will for how we live, we think we're gonna take a shortcut, but we just found the long way, didn't we? 
We just found the more difficult way when we go outside of God's design. And that's exactly what happened with Sarai and Abram. But here's the other promise that even when you've messed up, it does not negate the promises of God in our life. When you mess up, God does not look and say, oh, well, I guess I'm done with that one. On on to the next one. Maybe I'll find one who will actually be perfect all the time. That's not how God operates with you. And it's not how he was with Abram and Sarai. The the promise that he gave to them was was still true, even though they chose to bring more difficulty into their life. The shortcuts, they, they they will just shortchange us. But we're not just judged by our failures, we're judged by our lessons. And this is one of the overarching themes. It's easy to get caught up in the specific stories of Abraham, but one of the things that I want you to see from the upper story in Abram's life is that he was someone who learned from his lessons eventually. That he had these moments where he's like, God just isn't gonna do anything and so I need to take action. But we're gonna see that his faith developed as he went. Um, Genesis chapter 15, verses seven through 11, and we'll put this on the screen as I read it. He also said to him, this is God speaking, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take it as a possession, to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord told him, bring a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As I read that passage, I know you're like, I am so glad I drove to Gulfside Church this morning to read about animals getting cut in half. What in the world did that even mean? One of the, the... the customs of, the, of a day when, when an, an agreement was made between two rulers, they would make a covenant with each other and they, and they would use these animals or animals like them that, and they would create an aisle way. They'd sever the animals and they would take half of the goat, put it here, half of the goat, put it here and they would create this aisle way. And this is how they would form their covenant. There would be the, the, this trail of blood and animals and they would make their agreement and they would walk through it together. And the agreement was that if either one of us breaks our end of the bargain, what happened to these animals should happen to us. And that was a covenant. When we think of covenant, we think of like the marriage covenant. I get to perform a wedding this coming summer. I think maybe better than roses and flower petals. I don't know if Andrea Booker's in the room right now, but if she is, she's getting nervous. I mean, there's usually a red carpet anyway, so who cares if there's a little bit of red blood? Like, let's make this a real biblical marriage covenant. Man, that's some of the intensity that I think maybe some marriages need, that like if either one of us break this covenant that we've agreed to together and before God, may that be done to us, that's a more serious agreement than uh, we have to go file some paperwork with the city clerk to dissolve our marriage. Like this was the covenant that was, would be made in that day. But Abram's saying, God, how will I know the promise that you've made me will come true? And so God says, Abram, go get the the custom of the day. Go get the stuff ready 
for a covenant and set it up. And as he sets it up, Abram's waiting for God to do something and birds of prayer coming down and he's trying to shoo them off. And then continuing into verse 17, it says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces, the pieces of the animal. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give you this land from the, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. But the, the, the important piece of the, this passage is that Abram was actually in a deep sleep when this happened. Abram had fallen into a deep sleep. And so this covenant that God made with him, Abram was in a deep sleep and God moved through the pieces. Now, if you remember, there were supposed to be two parties to this agreement. There's supposed to be two people who moved through the pieces so that there was mutual accountability for the keeping of the covenant. But God had Abram fall into a deep sleep and God moved through it on his own. Why was that? That would have stood out. That's like saying, we're going to sign a contract, but I'm the only one who's going to sign it. It's because God's saying, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. If you fail, my promises are going to be true. If you mess up, what I've said is still going to come to pass. This covenant was not dependent on Abram. And, and one of the, this is an incredible thing because when you think, okay, the covenant that God made with Abram, the covenant that was then made with the nation of Israel, it's all connected into each other. It's all within the same promises. The promises that Israel got were based on the promises that were given to Abram. That I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless all nations through you. That promise that got put to Israel, it starts with Abram. And Israel breaks and leaves the covenant. And what did God say would happen? He said, well, if this covenant gets broken, then may it be to these as it's been to me. And this is just another one of the typology, of the, of the foreshadowing of the fact that Christ would have to die for our sins. When God's people left the covenant, it wasn't just the people, the people weren't going to suffer, the people weren't going to be the sacrifice, but it would be God himself sending his son to pay for our sins. And so God does this as an act of reassurance that Abram, I am surely gonna keep my word to you. I am surely gonna make you a great nation and I am going to make it happen. And then in Genesis chapter 17, uh, I, I know this is a story, I was just talking to someone in the lobby about this, how the name changes are a source of confusion in scripture so many times. And, and she was once called Sarah, Sarai and her name was changed to Sarah, which is like moving from princess to queen in Genesis 17. Abraham, Abram's name meant father. Abraham meant father of nations. And their names were changed at the coming of this promise. This promise that seemed absolutely hopeless. Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to get into fist fights in heaven, but I just wonder how the conversation went between Abram and Abraham and the, the author of the book of Romans, who in verse 18, we'll put this up on the screen, it says, Against all hope, Abram, against all hope, Abram in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that this is the, the quote that I think, I'm like, how did Abram interpret this when it, was, when it was said? Though his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. 
but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. I don't know how Abram felt about someone describing him through all eternity that when he was receiving the promises of God, his body, the condition, mm, it's got a few miles on it. It's, it, it's not working too well. It's, act, it's as good as dead. It's as good as a dead body. Abram's body that he's going to fulfill God's promises with, that body is just as good as any other dead body that you could find on earth. That, Abram's like, I could have whooped you at 100 years old, Paul or whoever it is who is the author of Romans. Uh, I, I push on that point just for, for a minute, that at the coming of the promises of God in Abram's life, in Abraham's life, it seemed impossible. It didn't just seem impossible, it was improbable. There was better people to pick, there were more qualified people to pick, but God said, no, you're my person for this. Other people would have looked at the circumstance and just said, it's impossible, why even try? And in fact, I'm sure that they had re retired from trying a long time ago for a child. But God said, I want this to happen. I'm gonna make this happen. And it's gonna happen in a way that when everyone sees it, they're gonna say, only by God's hand. Uh, th this last week I got to go to a conference and I was traveling with a friend who's about to go out and plant a church, which small spo spoiler note, it is my intention that when they get their launch day set, a team of us will travel to, San or to Houston, Texas area and help them on their launch day. It's gonna be sometime in September. As they lock that down, I will let you know, but I'm just keeping you informed in the middle because we love to help plant churches here, don't we? Amen? Amen. Um, and so, but we're, we're talking and he's getting his team ready. He's getting his life ready. He's getting ready to move from Southwest Florida to the Houston area, which is a huge jump. Doesn't hardly know anybody there. He's just gonna go and do it. And, and he had, he had a, a, a person who was gonna join his team gifted for ministry. Like he can do youth ministry, he, he can do tech stuff, he's got a servant's heart, he's so gifted. And it was one of those things, it's like, if I have him on my team, I've got this. And it was such a reassurance to him until he quit before it even started. And he was just despairing of this to me. And I'm like, man, it really sounds like if he had stayed on your team, that you would not have even needed God to plant this church. And I could see, like, he's like, Oh my gosh, you're right. Like, I, I was like, I could tell, like, you have a lot of faith and a lot of trust just established in this guy. Like, he's gonna make your world so much easier. And I get that because I've been there. And I get that because, like, in the story of Moses, when God's saying, hey, I need you to go. And he's like, would you just send me Aaron? Like, Aaron's better at speaking than, like, you just, I could do it if I had someone else. God, you're just not enough for me to do this on my own. And, and I'm telling him this, and I could just see the wheel. He's like, dude, amen. Like, that's right. Like, God is going to provide everything we need. Why do I think that it's going to rest or fail on one other person? Like, like there's this, this sentiment in us that it's like, if I can stack the deck, then I'll take a risk for God. If I can make everything easy, then I'll take a risk for God. But God is going to put you in a situation where he might even let you think you have the, the deck stacked. And then he's going to take away all the cards. And he's going to say, learn that I am all that you need. I'm gonna get you so fat, far past the child raising years that it's gonna feel like you've given up on it. In fact, you and your wife are gonna laugh at the idea of having a child and then that's when I'm gonna give you your child. And that's what he did in Abram's life. So in your life, in your ministry, in your household, 
If you have the expectation that God is gonna give you everything quickly and easily and it's gonna make sense all at the right times, throw that concept out. Believe God for the impossible. Expect God to work in the impossible. When you pray for your friends, when you pray for your neighbors, expect God to work in impossible situations. Because from generation to generation, that is what he has loved to do. I have two minutes left on that clock. Um, So we're gonna fast forward a little bit. Genesis chapter 22, verse five. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture because it, it punched me in the stomach the, so hard the first time that I ever read it. And so just begin to get your flesh in the game a little bit of like, put yourself in Abram and Sarah's shoes. They have waited for decades for their child. They have watched other people have children, celebrated with them while mourning in their heart. They didn't get to experience that. And they finally get this child. And then God says to Abram, this this request that does not make sense to us. Take your child, Isaac, the child of promise, and sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. And Abram has to be like, I don't think I heard you right, God. That's, not the, that, that's, that's the God of the Chaldeans, but that's not the God of Abraham. And Abram, who found so many other plans for God in the past, began to go. And I, I want to show you this verse in Genesis chapter 22. Band, you guys can come out. Um, I'm going to make this end somehow. Genesis 22.5. This is Abram speaking. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abram's faith development has grown a lot. As you look at the way that he lived his life, he had made mistakes, he had lied, he had not believed God, he had taken shortcuts to make God's will happen. But, but the first note that I have to hit a little bit here is that we have an expectation that we want to come into a church gathering and we want worship to just sweep us away. We want to come on like a grumpy, mad old man with our arms crossed because they're playing the wrong songs at the wrong volume with the wrong person. I like this person better than this person. And we want worship to just emotionally move us to where we finally bring worship before God. That's what we think of when we think of worship far too often. Abraham said, my biggest dream of all my life, I'm gonna bring him up a mountain and I'm gonna watch him die in front of me. And this is worship. And this is a hard passage. This is a difficult one. But especially men, I want to push on you for a minute because you're more reluctant to bring your heart before God in worship. The women seem to have an easier time of just bringing their heart and their mind before God in worship. And if it's difficult for you, then good. Because it means more. Because it's not supposed to come easily but it's supposed to be an act of the will and the heart 
where you say, this is difficult because I'm, I may not like expressing myself. I may not like singing. I may not like other people hearing me sing. But for me to bring my worship before God who is worthy of my worship, it doesn't matter the cost. It doesn't matter the emotional cost. It doesn't matter the situational cost. It doesn't matter if it costs my ego because I was being a jerk and yelling at my wife on the way to church today. And if I begin to worship, then I know I'm going to have to ask for her forgiveness after church. But I'm in this place and I know that it's right. And so I'm going to carry my worship up that hill, even though it's not easy to do today. So he goes up the hill with his son with an expectation that we're both walking back down this hill. It tells you something about his faith, that even when God was asking something that did not make sense, he said, I can trust God through this. Both me and my son are going to walk back down this hill. And as he places his son on the altar, and scripture affirms, he was ready to do it. He was ready to do it because he believed that God would raise him right back up. And an angel stopped him in Genesis 22, verse 16. After the angel has stopped him, God is responding to the situation. And he says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your one and only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You know why all the nations will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham? Because from his offspring would come Jesus Christ. And on Mount Moriah, in that place, the city that would be established in that place became later known as Jerusalem. And on one of those hills, and many theologians believe on that particular hill, when Abram was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, while, while Abram was going up the hill, on one side believe, believing God is asking me to do something impossible and he couldn't see God's provision yet, on the other side of the hill, God's provision was already making its way up. It was just waiting on Abram's obedience to be there, but it was already in motion. And so Abram gets to the top and he's ready to sacrifice his son and this, this ram gets its horns stuck in, in thorns. And God says, there's your provision on this hilltop where your son would be lost, I am providing a sacrifice for you. And quite possibly on that very same hill, 2,000 years later, Jesus' head was wrapped in thorns. And God's son, his one and only son, gave his life so that whoever would believe would not perish, but would have eternal life with him. Abraham's story, it's a complicated one. It's probably a lot like your story, where you've had your failures and you've had your successes. And I believe that those failures and the successes should bring you to a point of greater faith, of greater trust. And the intention is that the further into your story you get, that you reach this point where you say, I can trust God in the impossible situations, in the situations that don't make sense. I can trust him because God will always provide a way and he is always good for his promise. So as we wrap things up today, 
I want to tell you a truth that maybe you've heard before, but maybe you need to experience it in a different way. That God has sent uh, not just an animal sacrifice, but he has sent his son, his one and only son. So in the face of your mistakes, you can have forgiveness. In the the face of a life that you know has been lived outside of God's design, he can give you a new life and a clean slate. Because on that hill, Jesus died to pay for your sins. And when you reach a point where you say, God, I'm ready. I place my faith and my trust in you. God will meet you where you are and he will guide you forward. But we don't approach God on our terms. We approach him on his terms. So let's bow our heads together. Just in your heart, just pray with me that Jesus, we believe that though our mistakes are many, your death on the cross was enough. It was enough to pay for my sins. It was enough to empower me to live a new life. It was enough to change the trajectory of where I'm going. And it's enough for me to give my heart over to you today. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And God, you raised him from the dead. And we know that your scripture promises that when we believe that and when we confess it, that we will be saved, that we will be new creations, that we are adopted into your family. And we celebrate that great love that we receive from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?